in their ever-present pursuit of entertainment, education, and some adjective to be named later. The Homestar Army proudly presents TrekWest 5, a conglomerate podcast of science fiction, politics, humor, and pretty much whatever else they want to talk about. Your hosts for TrekWest 5 are Joey and Peter. Good evening and welcome to Podcast 156. I am Peter. And I am Joey. And, um, yeah, sorry about the extra week off there. Uh, I've just realized, I went back and I looked, we have not been giving this our full attention. (laughs) It has taken us so long to get through 15 episodes of television. That's true. Now, granted, we did slow down to two episodes per podcast, but like... We are averaging two a month now. (laughs) This is sad. It is pretty sad. (laughs) Well, (laughs) maybe if you had gotten our Kickstarter up, then we could have kept the momentum that we had. That's true. At this point, we really ought to just have gone with the original text I had written up. Uh, Okay, welcome back, everyone. Um, We're happy you're here. And uh, first full week at the new job, Joey. Yeah. What would you think? Uh, I'm I'm enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. Even though I made you stay really late tonight, <laughs> we we didn't leave till like seven o'clock yeah. on a Friday night, which is ugh, terrible. Actually, it's not that unusual. If it weren't for the podcast, I'd leave. I used to leave work at seven o'clock all the time. Okay. Um. Anyway, it. Uh, yeah. New new job. New uh, adventures. New challenges for you. Yes. Very much new challenges. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of those. A lot of those to be found. Uh, but uh, but they've been all good. They've been all positive stuff. So yes, nothing certainly. you're like, oh, crap, what what terrible mistake have I just made? No, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, I am reinvigorated to go to work, which is, that's been missing for a little while. So yeah. I, I, was, I think I sent you a, an IM, I think it was yesterday, just saying, hey, I don't know if I've said it yet, but thanks for bringing me on here because I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll get that uh, bread out of you real quick. <laughs> You'll beat it out. It'll of be you. drudgery from here on out. <laughs> um, no, I, I know it's been helpful having you there, especially with the project that I've been on. Otherwise, I don't think we would have ever gotten you know that work done that we got yeah. done finally tonight. Um, and I know been prioritized. And I know some of the other guys have you know really enjoyed having you there. So, oh, good. Yeah. I, I think you're going to fit in well eventually. Although, <laughs> all of the... I don't see Ken stopping trying to hug you or touch you inappropriately. Or and by And by inappropriately, I mean, at the very least, trying to give you high fives. Yes, but inappropriate high fives. <laughs> <laughs> As a uh, particular employee, co-worker of ours, and uh, I think he and I get along great. I, but, I think he's a wonderful man. Yeah, but he keeps trying he's to touch, touch you. <laughs> he's, a, he's a toucher, and I'm not a toucher. That's <laughs> uh, great fun. Great fun. Um, okay, let's uh, let's jump into podcast stuff. I assume you don't have anything else nope, you want to nope. bring up. I've got something I want to start off with. Okay. An email from uh, listener Bob. And uh, I thought this would be good to do this at the beginning because nothing to do with Battlestar. Okay. 
So he says, hi, fellas. I hope life is well. For me, January went very quickly. I really don't enjoy the year progressing as fast as it currently is. Prefer a slower pace to life. Before I go on, will you continue doing two episodes of BSG per podcast when you enter season two? I mean, that is a full season of television. So, what do you think? You want to speed up to four again or stick with two? I want to stick with two at least here for a little bit. Let let me get a feel for, with the new job, uh, I am facing a about a three-hour commute. Uh, when all said and done, you know, the whole day, the, the round trip commute, about three yeah. hours. Um, and with just settling into a new job, it's it's kind of hectic. And on top of all of that, we're right in the middle of kind of the heyday for the Utah County Republican Party and all the events that they do in preparation for their organizing convention. Are we going to get a an adventure in Republican? Yes. Tonight? Okay, yes. good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of like the two-episode thing. I can go to four, but then again, I've never really been the thing that's holding us back on episodes. <laughs> I mean, honestly, I got nothing going on in my life. Okay. Nothing. Except I like to play video games, so... The, the video games? Yeah. All right, he continues. Thank you, Joey, for your review of Lay Miz. I found it to be an excellent adaptation. I think that many people will have to remember that. It is a movie adaptation of a stage musical. Me included. I think I will break down what I liked and didn't like. Okay. Like. Eddie Redmayne. Excellent as Marius and had the standout song performance. Samantha Banks. I have seen her as Eponine on stage and she is just great. Hugh Jackman, in general, was pretty good. I don't think any other major actor could pull the Jean Valjean off. An unknown wouldn't have worked. The epic scale. The cinematography was fantastic. Mm -hmm, The opening shot was immense, although Paris on a soundstage looked pokey. Most of the cameos from the huge number of West End stars. So I guess people who had been in the musical production. Some elements that were brought in from the book, such as the opening at the shipyard rather than the quarry from the musical. One Day More was pretty much how I would have done it as a director, and the sweeping end shots are fantastic. Okay. Didn't like. Russell (laughs) Crowe. Mate, you are a fine actor. But you can't sing, and fading out the end of stars was sacrilegious. (laughs) It's a good point. It's a good point. Hugh Hugh Jackman's rendition of Bring Him Home. It looks like he is about to collapse at the final note, and his vocal range didn't work for the song. Movement of songs. Ruined the flow of what I am used to from the musical. Shortening of songs and changing of lyrics. One specifically in Who Am I? No brand upon his chest, 24601, which identifies Valjean to Javert. Cosette. A very drippy character. More so than usual. (laughs) 
I think the dislikes have come to uh, bear after reflection and second viewing. I'm surprised that Tom Hooper didn't get an Oscar nomination for the movie. It was well directed. Although Russell Crowe should have lip synced and I wouldn't have minded using auto-tune on him as well. <laughs> uh, auto-tuned <laughs> Russell Crowe as Jalbert. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Russell Crowe must have been really terrible. He was pretty bad, man. Uh, what other movies are you guys looking forward to this year? Any? Uh, I don't... I, uh, to be honest with you, I'm not sure what is actually slated at this point to come out this year and what's in future years. I know Iron Man 3 is a big Iron one that's Man coming 3. up. Yep. I, I didn't know if that was this year. Um I'm going to say the new Superman is supposed to come out. I think this Superman year. comes out. Superman. Uh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, I, I'm actually looking forward to that. I, I'm, I'm hoping that Zack Snyder does some, some really good things there. Star Trek. Star Trek. Oh, okay. All right. The new Star Sorry, Trek. Sorry, I was making <laughs> a joke. You know, it's Star Trek, not Star um, Trek. That one, I'm not. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I will probably go see it. I don't know enough about what Benedict Cumberbatch is supposed to be doing to really have gotten excited about it yet. I'm excited. I, I like Benedict. I, I'm, I'm not a huge fan. I mean, I don't dislike the the new Kirk. I certainly like him better than I like Shatner, which I realize is probably sacrilege to some people. But it's just it, it, he's kind of they like to have him do this like harder, edgier version of Kirk, and I'm I'm just kind of you know that the, the harder, edgier version of everything is so '90s. It's 2013 now. <laughs> Can't we move past the the post deconstructionism? <laughs> okay, okay, all right. Uh, I can't think of any other movies, but those three, I I'm I wouldn't mind seeing those. Yeah, I, I I'm, I'm just saying I, something because I don't really go out and see. I mean, a lot The of Hobbit, movies. right? We're supposed to get a Hobbit movie. I don't know if that's yeah. this year or next yep. year. We okay. we will get another Hobbit movie. Yeah, you're right. I'm excited for that one as well. Okay. okay, I guess that yeah, there we go, Bob. Uh, yeah, and that's it for now. He's got some other stuff that we'll come back to Okay. whenever we do our list of right. top five, which I'm still not sure when we're doing that. Okay. Well, let's do it now. Wait, what? Let's do it now. Do it now. Do it now. <laughs> <laughs> I waited for you to turn the screen off before I said that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we did have a few people send these in. Oh, good. So, uh, do you uh, want us to go first? Or do you let, want let's them hear from to the listeners first. first. Listeners first. Give them the the benefit. Okay, um, we'll start off with listener Bob. Number five, Johnny Bravo, uber okay. cool. Number four, Batman Bruce Wayne from the '90s animated series. Kevin Conroy is my personal favorite Batman. Number three, Danger Mouse. A British cartoon about a mouse who is a superhero from the late 80s. Number two, Wallace and Gromit. Another British classic from Ardman uh, Animations. Look it up if you are not aware of them. Sure. Number one, Wally. An animated robot mm. should not have me in tears. <laughs> this list is coming from a man who cried at Toy Story 3 behind 3D glasses while his son couldn't care less about the ending. <laughs> I guess it's because I grew up with Toy Story and have an affinity with toys. Who knows? Moving on, well done to the 49ers for getting to the Super Bowl and then losing it. 
It's what you get for beating the Atlanta Falcons. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Thanks for rubbing that in. Uh, yeah, that's a good list. I'm curious how a, uh, a guy from London became an Atlanta Falcons fan. Wife. Oh, right. Yes. Right. I forgot she's from the, the south there. Yeah. Um, Johnny Bravo. I never got into that cartoon character. Yeah, I can't say I can't say I ever saw the appeal myself either, but I don't think I really gave it a chance. It was always on in between other things I happened to be watching and I would surf away. So maybe if I had sat through it, I would have actually been able to learn to appreciate it. Yeah, I don't think so, because I saw some of the stuff and he just ended up annoying me. <laughs> um, OK, let's move on to my friend John Madsen. Yes. OK, I got a OK. Five animated characters. Kind of a broad topic, isn't it? Nearly as broad as my favorite live-action characters. (laughs) I'm limiting this to just TV personalities. Five. Bubbles from Powerpuff Girls. Goodness gracious, sir. You are being slowly digested. We need to get you to a hospital. (laughs) By the way, uh, my kids have recently discovered Powerpuff Girls. It's been a lot of fun. Okay. Number four, Daffy Duck. It was me or him, and obviously it couldn't be me. It's a simple (laughs) matter of logic. I'm not like other people. I can't stand pain. It hurts me. (laughs) Number three, Spike Spiegel from Cowboy Bebop. Things work better when I kick them. (laughs) Two, Philip J. Fry from Futurama. That's the saltiest thing I've ever tasted. And I once ate a heaping bowl of salt. <laughs> you know, I'm not watched in a Futurama. Yeah, you should. It's it's fun. Number one, Millhouse Van Houten from The Simpsons. How could this have happened? We started out like Romeo and Juliet, but instead it ended in tragedy. <laughs> Good old Millhouse. Everything's coming up, Millhouse. Uh, you know, I never got into to Powerpuff Girls. Oh, you're missing out. Yeah, I just there's a lot of a lot of irony, a lot of irony and sarcasm. The the Philip J. Fry thing I'm good with, and and Daffy Duck. I'm glad you know he uh, he mentioned something from the uh, you know Mary Melody's gang of of people. Daffy always annoyed me. Yeah, I'm, but I think that was the character. (laughs) That's the point. Yeah, I I actually, I the the first thought that popped into my head when you read it when you read Daffy was, yeah, John John would like Daffy. That would have been the Mary Melody (laughs) character that John selected. Uh, Brainy Smurf. He says, "Dudes, as my email got hacked again, I'm ditching Yahoo. So sorry about whatever transpired through my old email address." If an overlord recommends further action, please notify the Brain Nation. Okay. I think you're fine. My my brother got the same thing. It seems like a whole bunch of Yahoo accounts got hacked or just virus do, or something. Just switch over to Gmail. <laughs> you know, get a grown-up email account. And that's what Gmail is for adults. Email. <laughs> what, was the, what was the ad on Jon Stewart earlier? Oh, yeah. Email. Remember. It's free or something like that. Um, yeah, I shouldn't be saying that. I actually own stock in Yahoo, so <laughs> uh, maybe stick it out a little bit longer, Brainy. T- tough it out. Yeah. They, they, they maybe want buy some of their services. <laughs> that would be great. Uh, he says, uh, on, uh, five animated characters. Honorable mention to Toph 
from the last airbender or is that toph t-o-p-h toph toph she's she's a blind earthbender ah sees with her feet got it number five spike from cowboy bebop four lionel huts the simpsons ah good old Wait, lionel which one's huts. lionel huts he's the lawyer he was played he was voiced by phil hartman Okay, I don't think I know that character. He's more in the early okay. years of The Simpsons because, well, Phil Partman died. <laughs> but he's around every once in a while. Number three, Eric Cartman, South Park. Number two, He-Man, He-Man. He-Man? No. No. Oh. He-Man. It's terrible. <laughs> no. Superman, Iron Man, but He-Man. Okay. He-Man. <laughs> 1.5, Samurai Jack, Samurai Jack. Okay. Number one, Randy Marsh, South Park. I have no idea who that character yeah, me is. Either. I mean, I've seen South Park a few times, but I really just no concept of. I, I've of watched who that one is. episode of South Park. It was the World of Warcraft episode. Okay. All right. I haven't seen that either. Okay. You, Pete. Me. Me, me, me. Number five is going to go to the nurse from Animaniacs. Hello, nurse. Absolutely. (laughs) That character right there. So is Jessica Rabbit on your list? No. Okay. She's not. How about the girl from Cool World? No. (laughs) No. All right. The nurse, though. Dynamite. I don't know what those animators did, but they nailed it. (laughs) They hit the Pete spot, huh? Yeah. Number four. I this may be cheating a little bit, but I'm going to say Gollum from okay. the Lord of the no, Rings. No, I don't think that's I don't think that's cheating at all. Okay, cool. That's, I hadn't I hadn't gone that way, but good on you. Sir. Yeah, well, it's not the traditional yeah. like cartoon thing, which may have been the you know the original intent of of what you said I, with animated. So I I, I think the uh, the quality of the work there speaks for itself that we should let it in. Yeah. Okay, number three, um, Bell from Beauty and the Beast. Okay. Uh, I have made no <laughs> no shameful remarks that I feel about how I think she is the best looking princess in all of the Disney stuff. Plus, I thought she, the character was actually pretty decent. You yeah, know, she yeah. stood up for herself at times, and I I don't know. I just couldn't. I never tire of seeing Belle. I was actually more of an Ariel guy. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. After fish, huh? Uh, number two, Batman. Okay. From uh, Batman the Animated Series. I Just an iconic voice. The character, the stories, everything was just awesome there. I couldn't, you know, never get tired of, of yeah. watching Batman. Uh, and number one is Snake Eyes from oh. G.I. Joe. So which G.I. Joe? The original. Okay. Yeah. The, the, the stuff from the 80s. Did you ever watch the uh, Warren Spector? Yeah, stuff. And that that Snake Eyes was just as awesome. Yeah, I mean, there, you know, no no problem. Was not there. a fan of uh, Sigma Six or what it was it? Yeah, Sigma Six. I thought they just made it goofy. Yeah, and that's saying something. <laughs> With G.I. Joe. <laughs> yeah, I, I've gone back since you know and and, and watched <laughs> some of them and wow, just yeah, 
the number of times where you know they just cut away to certain things and sort of like they come back from commercial wait how did they get away from that now they were like pinned in all four walls there was no place to go okay all right they're gi joe of it's course they can get That's out of that oh well oh i think there's a new gi joe movie this year oh sure yeah the rock is gonna be in it yeah and, i'm, I'm gonna Bruce be okay Willis. with that yeah i'll i'll, I'll probably go see that Okay. All right. So here's my list. I'm giving honorable mention to Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny. Uh, they didn't actually make my list, but I felt that they both needed to be mentioned. I, I looked and looked and looked over my memory of all of the, the Merry Melodies stuff, the Looney Tunes, and I couldn't pick one character out of that that I said, ah, oh, that you know was my favorite. Okay. If I'm going to give an honorable mention, though, I'm going to give it to Scooby-Doo. Oh, of, right. you know, the actual Scooby-Doo, you know, the dog. The dog. Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, for, for me, Mickey Mouse gets an honorable mention just because of how iconic he is, of, yep. of what he's done for animation as a medium. Yeah. Uh, Bugs Bunny, though, if you go back to the early, uh, the, the Merry Melodies there, there actually was a lot of educational content in them. For example, I remember there's one where... Uh, Pl- plenty of racism, too. Yes, yes. There's, <laughs> there's certainly plenty of inappropriate material. But you know, I, I can't think of any other cartoon characters that have had... Or any other cartoons that have had the, the impact. For example, I know Ride of the Valkyries. When I hear Ride of the Valkyries, I think my first experience with Ride of the Valkyries was Bugs and Elmer. Kill the wabbit, kill the wabbit. You know, I mean, like, how, how do we how do we not have that stuff in our culture today? It was great. It was wonderful. So I think that I think for what, what how iconic they are, both of those guys deserve an honorable nod here. But uh, my favorite list. So I've got uh, number five is Batman from Batman the Animated Series. Wow. Are you serious? That low on your that list? That low on my list. Yeah. Okay. I mean, there, there's, there's so much I wanted to get on here that that's just where he ended up. I think Batman the Animated Series is, is definitely the greatest Batman interpretation ever. Beats Christopher Nolan's Batman hands down. <laughs> um, number four goes to Eeyore, my okay. favorite character from the Winnie the Pooh sure. uh, stories. Number three, Pete, you probably will not recognize, is Howl from Howl's Moving Castle. Sure, I saw Howl's movie okay. in Castle. So I, I, I loved the character of Howl and, and all the things that they did. And that movie is it's just like so fantastically surreal. It, very, very memorable and, and sticks out for me. Also crazy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, number two is Ferb from Phineas and Ferb. Uh, right now, this is just... It's hitting me at the exact right point in my life. I think five years ago, if Phineas and Ferb had come out, I probably would have been... Kind of against it. I would have been down on it. Didn't it come out five years ago? No, they're in their third season. All right. Um, so it, it just it happened at the at right about the right time. And, and my son, I watch it with my son. And that's part of the experience. It's part of what makes me enjoy these characters so much is, you know, sure. thinking back to who I shared them with. And, yeah, that and makes a lot of sense. It where does. they took place. Yeah. And uh, number one. You can all roll your eyes and shake your heads all you want. This is My Little Pony. Fluttershy. Oh, from My, my Little Pony, Friendship is Magic. You choose My Little Pony over, you know, something that you're doing with your son. I'm doing My Little Pony with my daughter. Ah, uh, uh, well, I, I, uh, no complaints then. Can't complain. <laughs> Can't complain. 
Uh, let's see here. Facebook find of the week. Facebook find of the week. Okay, I'm going to give a dual award out. And I think oh. this may be the first time we've ever done this. Okay. But we had two weeks, and there was some pretty cool stuff that was posted up. So um, we're going to go ahead and give an award to Carbonite Man for the Lego Death Star. Okay. And uh, Lego um, Planet Alderaan, <laughs> which was just a bunch of Legos <laughs> in a pile. <laughs> just genius. Uh, and then Listener Fishhead for the Calvin and Hobbes stuff that he posted up Okay. Uh, to, today. it the, the Calvin and Hobbes thing is... I mean, that's comics in my mind yes. as a kid, you know, growing up. But they took the Calvin and Hobbes characters from various themes that you would recognize and put a real backdrop oh, behind it. Okay. Uh, and it was fantastically done. Well, I may have to go check out Facebook this week. You should. You really should. Uh, so congratulations, you guys. Carbonite, uh, man, if, uh, if we haven't sent you awards i don't know we'll we can send you some yeah let us know yeah if you've already gotten all five of them well don't request if if there's anyone who thinks that they are missing one that they deserve they should just let us know (laughs) um okay uh listener brainy smurf yes brainy's nook okay uh this back up brainy wait before you launch into brainy's nook actually okay uh, Brainy, what do you think about doing American Gods for the season two opener? We we do we co do uh, American Gods? Okay, good question. Good question. Uh, but for Brainy's Nook of Darkness, we preface what will hopefully also be covered by Joey next week: Neil Gaiman's novel American Gods. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you saw that train wreck coming and you just stood there. I just let it happen. I just absolutely let it happen. I gave you no facial recognition. Nothing whatsoever. I'm so glad that I proofread this ahead of time. Oh, so good. Um, So to get us ready for the subject, here is a little perspective. American Gods is an amazing work of art. But if you don't want to take my word for it, check out its accolades. Upon its first release in 2001, uh, here are the awards the book was honored with. The Hugo, the Nebula, the Locus, and the Bram Stoker. Essentially, American Gods was considered the best fantasy, science fiction, and horror book of that year. In 2011... Gaiman released a version with an extra 12,000 words. Each version is represented through audiobooks as well. The 10th anniversary edition contains a full cast reading. I highly recommended it not only for the actors, uh, not for not only are the actors great, but Gaiman himself reads the several interluding coming to America chapters. He also provides a great introduction to the novel, recounting exactly how he wrote it. In America on the Road, following a similar trail as his protagonist. Also in the intro, he quotes Gene Kuntz, whom advised him that you never learn to write a novel. You just learn to write the novel you are working on. 
Gaiman describes his novel as a long piece of prose with something wrong with it. Funny, yet accurate. I will finish up here by saying that the book's main character, Shadow, is one of my all-time favorite characters in any medium. Also, there is recent news that HBO is going to develop AG into a series. I will leave us with a quote from the book... Uh, about the book from Gaiman's website. Quote, Released from prison, Shadow finds his world turned upside down. His wife has been killed. A mysterious stranger offers him a job. But Mr. Wednesday, who knows more about Shadow than is possible, warns that a storm is coming. A battle for the very soul of America. And they are in its direct path. Close quote. Cool. More to come next week, but for now, on to The Hobbit. So, Joey's Culture Corner. Okay. So, uh, like I said, I, I, I wanted to make sure I gave The Hobbit the full attention that it needed to, to get a good review here, because it's it's very complex. My feelings towards The Hobbit are very complex. I... I I enjoyed it. I want to I want to start off with that and just say I really did enjoy it. So any of the things that I say that may sound negative come from a place of of, of love. I I truly love what Jackson has done throughout the course of all the movies that he's made. I look forward to what he brings next. But I had a few issues with with this movie. The first thing that really bothered me and and I just I struggled with it the whole movie is that he tried very very hard to pace the hobbit the, the same pacing of Fellowship of the Ring. Um, and, and if you, it, I, I imagine that once the movies come out, someone will do this. They'll sit down and they'll synchronize the two movies so that you can watch them through and key points will happen uh, along similar timelines. It, that to me made The Hobbit go more slowly than it needed to. I think that there was a little too much of trying to pull pull the hobbit back because fellowship of the ring is setting up this huge epic story arc whereas the hobbit is a great story and and a lot of fun and we're and i enjoyed the movie but there i think there are just too many things where he's just pulling in extra tidbits of tolkien lore just to kind of make the movie last as long and to have key events happen at about the same pace as they happened in the fellowship of the ring um, the, uh, the introduction of Rivendell here, it, it was frustrating for me because I'm, I'm looking at these as, okay, once all six movies are done, I'm going to have my kids. And once I'm, you know, once I'm comfortable, they're old enough and that, you know, things are all the things are age appropriate and whatnot. I'd like to sit down with my kids and watch all six movies with them in the order that it happens in universe. So we would watch the first Hobbit movie, second Hobbit movie, third Hobbit movie, and then the Lord of the Rings movies in in their chronological order. Um, The introduction of Rivendell here, in my opinion, is given a lot of short shrift because they spent so much time on it in Fellowship. That's the, that's my that's my working theory is that they're like oh we've already shown Rivendell all the audience knows what Rivendell is they've seen a lot of Rivendell so we're just going to kind of rush through it and I think that they should have considered for you know the later audiences the kids growing up now that haven't seen the Lord of the Rings yet this is going to be their first introduction to Rivendell and they're only going to get 
in my opinion, kind of a peek at the the glory that is Rivendell. And I wish they would have flipped that around and and done more now and and let it be less in Lord of the Rings. Um, the the Hobbit to me was always a story of moral ambiguity. It's not clear who necessarily is in the right in the Hobbit. Uh, it's just kind of a, a a story of it's an outgrowth of the natural myths that Tolkien studied in his work. And, and it's just kind of, he's taking and, and borrowing pieces from different myths, kind of going back to that monomyth thing before Campbell popularized it and saying, you know, okay, is there more story in here? Is there something, some other story that can be told out of the bits and pieces of, of common truth and common thread? Um, and as a result, because there's so much truth in it, it's not an easy story. It's not a, oh, every, you know, the, the dwarves are totally in the right and they're going to come and they're going to save the day. And I just felt like in the movie, things are a little too heroic. It's not as much of a morality tale and it's more of just a fairy tale. Um, all of that said, it, it was pretty fun. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. I, I liked the additions. I, you know, I know he padded, padded it a lot. Not upset that he padded it. I am upset with the pacing a little bit, but the, the, like the addition of the, uh, the white orc fine with that. I thought it was a great ad. Um, I've heard, I did not see it myself in 48 frames per second, but I've heard from a lot of people who like me have get headaches from 3d movies that a 3d movie at 48 frames per second causes a lot less eye strain. It's not causing them the kind of headaches and, and problems that other 3D movies have. So I'm excited actually to see this this 48 frames per second 3D. If if it really does work for me the way it has seemed to work for a lot of other people, I hope it continue, that trend continues. That being said, I've also heard a lot of people that said, yeah, it's it's really weird. It doesn't look like a movie anymore. It looks real and it looks too real. And so it, there are people that were telling me it took them out of the experience. It it broke down the suspension of disbelief because things were too realistic looking, even though it was clearly up there on the screen. Um, again, I didn't experience that, but that is one of the comments that I heard that I'm curious to see how that plays out. Uh, and so the, just the overall, I do give it thumb up. In fact, I'm going to say thumbs up. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I really liked Martin Freeman. I think he did a fantastic, fantastic job as Bilbo. Obviously, Sir Ian, uh, once again, knocking the ball out of the park. And I can't remember the guy's name right now, but uh, Thorin Oakenshield. I thought he was pretty good. Uh, could have done without the rest of the bumbling dwarves. I didn't really enjoy them when I was reading the book either. So, you know, it's just kind of one of the costs of the fact that other people like more silly in their stories, I think, than I do. Um, but for me, the highlight of the whole movie is the riddle game finally makes sense. Like I would always hit that part of the book and I enjoyed it, but I couldn't understand Gollum's motivations for participating. I couldn't ever understand why would he agree to anything that's going on here when he clearly has Bilbo fully in his power. And Andy Serkis just amazingly brings that character's motivations and, and personality to life in such a way that I go, oh, I get it. Gollum actually makes sense to me now. I, I, can, I, I could never get there on my own. In my own imagination, I couldn't ever arrive 
at that perception of Gollum as a whole character. He just kind of seemed to be a foil to keep the plot moving. But when Andy Serkis gets up there and does the production, I get it. It makes sense. And if, so if it's for that alone, I think this movie is a win. But it, it doesn't have to stand on that because there are so many other things here that are wonderful. I was thrilled with the movie. I enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't mind that it was long. Um, and I, I probably don't really agree with you on the pacing okay. comment. Um, I, it was fun. It was light. It was enjoyable. And I think that was a good, you know, a good way of, you know, presenting the Hobbit, which is a light, fun, fanciful kind of fantasy book. Okay. It's not the sweeping epic that Lord of the Rings is. Those who might have thought it was going to be, <laughs> you know, yeah, sorry that you might have been disappointed. I, I enjoyed it and I look forward to the rest of them. As do I. Yeah. Moving on to episodes, we are going to cover episode 13 of Battlestar Galactica season one. The season cliffhanger is upon us. The survivors on Cobalt try to survive. Starbuck arrives on Caprica, where she joins up with Hilo. The old man and President Rosalind struggle for the reins of power, and Boomer finally executes her programming. <laughs> Excellent use of the word execute. Uh, so yeah, this is Cobalt's Last Gleaming Part 2, um, and this is the, the season finale. And wow, what a season finale. <laughs> no kidding. It is. <laughs> Uh, just the whole thing is jumping around from place to place, but as you watch it, it doesn't feel disjointed. For That's me, true. it felt like the transition point fluid yeah. story the whole way through, and that is tough because as I was just reviewing my notes before we started the recording, I, I was looking at this and thinking, "Man, this is going to be terrible to talk about." <laughs> Like just jumping from place to place to place all over, but in the sh it, when you watch the show, so smooth. Yeah, really did a good job with that. Um, so we begin with uh, the survivors on Cobol. Uh, yeah, they uh, they're pulling themselves out, and <laughs> so when uh, when six appears and she's saying to Gaius, "Hold out your hand, you know, take my hand, take my hand." Yeah, and we know. That Tyrrell was standing there. Uh, it wasn't Tyrrell. Oh, no, you're right. It was, it was the lieutenant. The, it was the yeah, lieutenant. Whoever I'm the sorry. pilot was. I don't remember his name. Um, oh, it was Crashdown. Is that who it is? Yeah. Okay. And so he's like, take my hand. And then it turns into six and he starts kissing her. And I'm like, he's just totally standing there kissing <laughs> that guy, isn't he? <laughs> like, I totally thought they were going to have him snap out of it. And he's just making out <laughs> with Crashdown. <laughs> That's what you wanted to have happen. No, that's what I was afraid would happen. Pervert. Um, okay, so then we <laughs> jump away. This is our first jump. Well, but before we jump away, I, you know, they they have the explosion. They have the you know the classic action scene. Yeah. Down and the thing blows up just once. I would like somebody to do the scene where everybody runs and they dive and the thing never explodes and they all kind of get up and they're looking around. Oh, well. <laughs> or it might be just a pretty small explosion. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would work too. I just think that, you know, that trope has been played so heavily that it is ripe for somebody to pick it apart. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Hilo and Boomer 
talk about the arrow. And yes. it's Boomer who brings yes. this up so, because she appears to I'm know the plan. Has led him to this museum uh, there in Delphi. Uh, and she's talking about this arrow that is important. Um, and he's like, who cares about some stupid arrow? You're just a Cylon. Shut up. <laughs> um, I just thought it was interesting because it's clear that, uh, well, uh, the, the the implication here is that Caprica Boomer, or who I'm starting to call in my, in my notes Cap Boomer, just because I don't want to type out Caprica all the time. I, I think what we need to do is start calling them Sharon and Boomer. Okay, so Sharon is Caprica? I don't remember. <laughs> okay, I'm going to continue to call you Caprica Boomer until All you can right. answer that question for me. Uh, so we have we have Caprica Boomer and President Rosalyn, and I'm going to go ahead and say it. A little bit of a spoiler alert in this episode here, but I'm going to jump right to the end and say, Gaius, they are all receiving messages from the Cylon God. Oh, so President Rosalyn. All of the stuff that she was seeing was coming from the Cylon God. Yes. Ah, okay. Okay. So, uh, who was it? Gaius, Boomer, and, uh, uh, sorry, Galactica Boomer. No, no, no. Caprica Boomer. Caprica Boomer. Yes. And President Rosalind. And President Rosalind. They are all working together to get humanity the arrow and get to the temple and okay. to bring the, uh, the, the, crossbreed spawn <laughs> uh, we usually call those babies <laughs> but, but uh, go I, ahead crossbreed spawn i came sure. up i came up with a term for it here what, what was the like as i was just taking my notes here humanalon the humanalon child <laughs> best term that you've come up with so far good one they're all anyway they're, they're, clearly they're, they're the intent here is that they're going to bring the Humanalon baby and her mother to Galactica. I'm guessing they're going to kill the other boomer, execute her for treason. Hmm, okay. Uh, and Gaius, Rosalind, Caprica boomer, and her child will all be part of executing the Cylon's plan. Interesting. So Rosalind and Gaius... Not actual Cylons, though, or are no? They they're, they're not. They're not Cylons, but they are on the wavelength. They are receiving messages somehow through from the Cylon interesting. God. Interesting. Now, the th the more interesting thing to me is I actually do not think that that God has it in for humanity. Doesn't hate humanity. No. no. Okay. Uh, I I I think he genuinely wants co cooperation and collaboration between these two races. And He's so the other Cylons. Are going against their own God's will. Going against their own God. Yep. Okay. All right. They're All apostate. Ah, right. oh, man. Okay. Back to the story. Adama begins a, yeah, a little war <laughs> yeah. with President Well, he knows Roswell. right away, right? I mean, there was yeah. no question in his mind what happened here. Yes, yes, Starbucks yes, yes. went against me. It's got to be the president. Yes, yes. Someone has gotten in the way. 
and then you know the she mentions the press and so he's like okay we're done with this conversation and hangs up the phone which you know rightly that's the the right decision that's ballsy by the way because she was talking about how she had visions and she sent the last hope for those soldiers back to caprica on this total you know seemingly fool's errand i mean she put it all out there right there yeah good good for her (laughs) because this leads to what i think is probably the funniest moment in season one of Babylon or battlestar uh she doesn't actually mention the the stuff there in front of everybody else though she says uh, i'm trying to remember she said enough that i think that any any of those pseudo journalists who were paying attention should be able to pick up and go, this woman thinks she's receiving messages from God. You know, I, uh, I felt like there weren't actually any press even in the room. I just kind of had the impression that the, those, those other people were just part of her bodyguards and her general support staff. That was my, like she was just Bluffing. like, you know, yeah. Posturing. You know, trying to. I, I thought that the, the the two people sitting way over in the corner, I I was pretty sure that they were actually people we'd seen in the quote unquote press corps before. Uh, maybe they are. I, I just that was my general okay. feeling. I didn't see anyone specifically with you know a press badge. Well, we've never seen anybody with a press badge. Well, no, <laughs> but still, that's the you know persona that you know you got this guy wearing a fedora with. A press ticket sticking up out of his hat. Uh, you know, that's the, the the ideology or the you know the idea I was going for. I thought it was interesting. Also, uh, one of the first actions the old man takes here is he tells Geta to jam all signals in or out of Colonial One. Yep. And then they later have several phone calls back and forth. Well, I think they meant other signals. Yeah, that's not the way radio signals work. You can't really be that in, precise. In the future, and when you're driving around through space, I don't think this is the future. I've already told you that. Technolo- I think it's- still, they have a freaking starship. <laughs> well, that's just a matter of technology that we've lost. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Boomer is given the high risk assignment to destroy the Cylon base ship. That's orbiting COBOL. And she says, okay, yeah, I, I can do that. I'm, I'm ready to go. And it looks like she's maybe a little more mentally stable. Yes. She's, she's, she's got a purpose, right? Yeah, she's feeling a little more solid to her. And she accepts. Because she's not in charge anymore. <laughs> I think she is. Yeah, you're right. I think she is. So, cut away. We have Starbuck arrives on... Caprica. And the transponder seems to work. Yep. Yep. She was able to get through. Again? Same. uh, Yes. Go on. uh, I don't think that, you know, Starbuck makes the comment, I am so good. Look at, I landed just outside of Caprica. Uh, Again, I think that there is a divine power here. I think we see at multiple points in this episode, we are given what I interpret as there is now a very clear divine intervention going on. Hmm. Yeah, it could be technology, though. I'm I'm saying I think it's divine intervention. She did put in the coordinates. The ship does have the ability to jump. Yeah. So it could still be technology. Could be. 
could still be a chip in all of those people's heads. <laughs> I didn't say there's not a chip in his head. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, cut back. The raptors begin cutting into the president's hull. And they're going to board the ship and... And so all these take people, they're like, they're they take this, set up this human barrier between President Rosalind uh-huh. and the only door into the room. Okay, first of all, if you're cutting into the into the hull, why would you not just cut into the hull right above where she is instead of having to walk down the hallway? Well, I can only assume that you know maybe that particular area. It's deeper in the bowels of the ship or something? Maybe. Okay. Uh, I mean, there are windows right there. I, I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to help out okay. the story. But That's he, all. here to me is, is the more important question in this scene. Has President Rosalind actually done anything to make her worth defending this much? Or are these people just defending the office? Sounds like they're defending the office. I mean, like. I think I would say Billy clearly has a very personal level of commitment yeah, to President agreed. Rosalind. Yeah. But I don't know that any of these other people actually care about President Rosalind. We, yeah, we're certainly not shown that they are. and no, so None I, of them I have would. a strong look on their face of, I will die here for this president and, and a strong look of commitment to personal commitment to her. They're just like, well, you know well, what? It's my job to protect the president. That's what well, I'm going to do. Let's put you in this situation. You're you're not even one of the guards. You are one of the you know the support staff. I kill her myself. You kill her yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Problem problem solved. That sounds about right. And now I'm the president, right? Isn't that how that works? (laughs) So (laughs) I feel like you would be the one who would stand up for the president, and not the military potential dictator. Yes, who's assuming control. Yeah, I'm, I'm not necessarily a fan of the military coup. <laughs> right, right. So I can see why these people might not, you know, still might not be a huge fan of her, but are saying, you know what, I'm not a fan of, uh, of a military leader yeah. assuming control yeah, of, it, of this fleet. It wasn't, for, for me, I wasn't trying to say, I wasn't questioning that these people did stand up. I was saying, mm-hmm. how many of these people do you think are actually personally committed to President Rosalind versus how many of them are just saying, you know what, it's the idea. The idea here is more important than the person. Yeah, and I just wanted to put out another, you know, possible theory way why they might choose to to stand up for her. Um, Okay, so the bomb gets stuck as they're about to launch Uh, it. You you skipped over just one thing I want to mention real quick is that crash down. It's having a little bit of trouble being a leader. Yeah, I didn't care. Okay. I didn't know if maybe that was going to come back later. Because Tyrrell kind of takes control. Yeah, Tyrrell's a more put-together person. That, that's definitely what you take away from that well, scene. Well, since I think Tyrrell is a Cylon, I thought that was significant. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. Yep, fair enough. So is Tyrrell... No, no, no. Bomb is stuck. Yes. So, by the way, the the other transponder is working. Yep. You know, Boomer gets, they're able to fly in there pretty close and the, they launch the bomb, but it doesn't go off because it's <laughs> stuck. And so they, we're going to go sit down inside the ship and disconnect it manually. <laughs> Seems logical. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, jump again. Head six is wearing white as she is leading guys around. I mean, so all this time we've always seen her in the red dress. Yep. Or I think she wore a gold dress for a little while. Did she? I think so. I, for me, it's I, I, iconic. It's yeah. the red. Yeah. Um, this time she's wearing the the white. So this and is it's awesome. This is actually why I said I did not say he doesn't have a chip in his head. What I said was now at this moment I can't explain why and I can't explain how, but it is clear that Gaius has been chosen by the Cylon God to help bring this prophecy to to pass. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because that's what we're gonna get, you know, down the line as as we jump ahead. You know, he's given, he's told by Head Six, you know, you are the guardian and protector of the new generation of God's children. So here's the very interesting thing for me. Get with this episode behind us now. I can look at season one as a whole and I can say, you know what? There aren't any heroes on this show. There are no good people. There are some okay people. There are some great men, but there are no genuinely good souls there's no superman there's no cal l okay all right okay um they are all very very flawed individuals when push comes to shove adama clearly has no respect for the the political process i'm just going to do what's right political process be damned i'm just going to do what i'm going to do because i know what's best for humanity i'm going to throw the president in jail i'm going to humiliate my own son all these things that he does here he was kind of the last one that i thought okay maybe he maybe he's he's our kal-el maybe he's our shining hero even he is got he's got feet of clay very interesting that the that we are not given really anyone in my opinion that we can just all out root for not even Gaius, especially not we can't Gaius. Root for no. Gaius. <laughs> I'm rooting against Gaius, <laughs> even if it means all of humanity dies. As long as Gaius goes down too. <laughs> I just love the fact that she is wearing white, you know, which is a symbol of purity. Yes. And in my mind, there's nothing pure about Head Six, <laughs> but that actress looks dynamite she does in in, in that uh, new uh, get up okay so uh back to caprica starbuck <laughs> has the arrow which by the way most anticlimactic sorry anticlimactic uh i, was, I always go for that joke <laughs> uh, most anticlimactic reveal of a powerful artifact Ever in science fiction. I mean, it's just this arrow. It's just sitting there in the display case. Yeah, I, I don't know what. It's <laughs> they, pretty special. They, they could have at least, you know, shined, sh- shown a spotlight on it or something. It's just sitting there gathering dust, literally. <laughs> okay, if it's you, how do you get the... the uh, Case open? The case open. But I at least examine the thing before taking a shot at the glass. I'm never going to waste a bullet (laughs) on a piece of glass when there is plenty of rubble around, and I'm sure I can find a large rock. Or you have the butt of your gun. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I I just thought it was weird that she automatically just goes for, you know, shooting through it. Yeah. Which, by the way, uh, props to uh, John 
My friend John Madsen <laughs> yes. for now I can't see anything else in that scene. <laughs> yes. It's I couldn't see it because Netflix that plays on on my television, it darkens everything. Every show that I ever watch there on Netflix, it's just darker. Well, once he pointed it out, I saw it here on Netflix at your house. Um, I could see it in the the screenshot that he posted to the to the Facebook group. Uh, pretty funny, you know, to catch the the alighting guy, guy yeah. you know, in, in the wrong spot or something. Uh, funny. Um, okay, so we have uh, oh, number six shows up, and she says, "Hello, lieutenant," or you know, yeah. whatever whatever rank she is. Uh, they're gonna fight a little bit later on. Well, and just just with her flea and with her flight hair, we see exactly how much beyond us the Cylon skin jobs are. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Number six, she looks like a model. Yeah, but in these scenes, <laughs> now nah, she can hold her own. Well, and now you go back and you think of that scene where Caprica Boomer took the beating from her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, agreed. Um, okay, so Boomer lands and goes. I, I loved the interior design of these of this ship. You did. I there's something about it that gave me the feeling of the original Battlestar. I don't know what it is, but there's something in there. I was like, this is exactly what I would have expected to have seen from the original Battlestar if we ever got inside of a. a it, it's definitely way more of an organic feel than what I would expect. From a robot race. Before they land, when she's flying through and there's like that huge pyramid and stuff. That right there. That's the scene where I was like, oh, wow, that is so cool right there. I It's definitely, I thought they did a good job. Yeah. For sure. Uh, so she goes outside the ship um, to launch it, to, you know, unlatch it. And um, I was pretty sure Boomer was going to kill Racetrack and turn the nuke over. Oh, really? I thought that's where this was all headed. That she had sabotaged the ship before she left. And that she was just delivering the nukes to the hands of, of the Cylons. Uh, so we cut away again to the uh, uh, the ship. And we have the standoff with the Marines and the Secret Service. Everybody's <laughs> pointing their guns around. That is the funniest thing. So I think this is the the comedic moment of season one where you have all these people with their guns literally inches away from each other, <laughs> like at each other's chests and nobody knows what to do. And they're all just kind of standing there with this. Okay. I, I, I won't shoot you. You don't shoot me. Okay. <laughs> it's just hilarious. I can't even imagine. I was just thinking, trying to put myself in that scenario and imagine you got all that adrenaline flowing through you. Someone is Putting a gun right in your muzzle, right in the center of your chest. You've got your gun in his face, and you have to just stand there and stay calm. <laughs> That's why we shouldn't allow everyone to have guns. Only those people who are properly trained. Well, you know, a a, a properly trained militia being important to the safety of America, the right of the citizens to have and bear arms shall not be infringed. I'm just saying, where's the training? <laughs> Where is it? I, I will train you, Pete. So we're back on the Cylon ship, and she had heard <laughs> Sharon. And she goes, you know, yeah. over to examine, and lots of boomers start walking yes. out. Lots and lots and lots. 
And I can't remember if they started having a conversation with her right then and there or if we cut away again. But my, my next note is that Apollo pulls a gun on Ty and sides with the president and says, no, this is not right what we're doing here. Okay. And you know what? This is wrong. And you guys need to stop. And the president gives up. She's yeah. like, okay, all right, let's, everybody needs to calm down here. And, you know, Ty is like, the look on his face is classic. <laughs> As he's like completely, are you out of your mind? <laughs> are you serious about this? This is mutiny. The, the, the thing that, that scene was very bizarre to me because it seems like the president was just fine with letting anyone and everyone die to save her. But as soon as Apollo gets involved, <laughs> she surrenders. I think that she was, you know, assuming that it was just going to be a standoff. She was waiting for Adama to back down. And then once, you know, Lee jumps in and, you know, suddenly everything's turned on its ear. It's sort of like, okay, this could get out of control really quick. Okay. That's the only way I can see that, you know, kind of flowing and fitting with what happens, you know, by the president. Okay. That's in, in my mind, that's the way I, I didn't I know if maybe there was through. some kind of surrogate mother thing that was going on there. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe. Okay. Let's see here. Lots of boomers. Our president gives up. Okay. So now the boomers start talking <laughs> to her. Yes. And um, they make a comment, you can't fight destiny. It's funny, the, the, you you keyed on that one, and I keyed on the, we love you, Sharon. Da-da! <laughs> <laughs> what was that? <laughs> this is the most know. bizarre decision to put that sound effect right there. <laughs> because it seemed to me, I mean, they, the, the Cylon ship gets destroyed. I mean, she yeah. runs away. The bomb stays there. They see it. They're like, oh, yes, look at this as they caress it slowly. And then it goes off. By the way, cool visual effect. Oh, very cool. Very well done. Very awesome. So the question I wanted to pose to you is, did they let her blow up the ship? Yes. They like they kind of knew what was going on and they're like, all right, we're going to allow this to, to go ahead and happen. So we're we're totally okay with this. Like they were prepared for this Sharon showing up. Well, I I think what ha- what's going on here is that by letting her feel like she got away with it, and then activating the programming. Yeah, it kind of did reset things with her a little bit. It refocused from yes. a Cylon point of view, as we'll come to find out here relatively soon. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, so we're back on Caprica and um, the Starbuck and six <laughs> fight ends where she, you know, pushes her off and, you know, impales her on this piece of uh, rebar. By the way, guys, just just pointing this out here when not if but when the robot uprising happens, improvisation is our only hope as Starbuck shows us. <laughs> so. I found that scene frustrating because Starbuck falls down right on top of her. Mm -hmm. When we see the rebar sticking out of number six's chest. It should have been into Starbuck. It should have been into Starbuck. (laughs) That's all I'm saying. It's just the way it went under her armpit. 
just barely missed. <laughs> anyway, so Hilo goes over there and is like, "Oh my gosh, I can't believe it, Starbuck. You're you're okay. You're you're here." And he helps her up, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, Hilo, it's you!" And then she looks up and, and sees, Boomer. sees Boomer, and she immediately, freaks. yes, yeah. she puts it together right away. And she's like, "She's a Cylon," and his response is, "You can't. She's pregnant." Yep. And then my question is, what? <laughs> Are you kidding me? That's the reason not to shoot her. Here's here's She's why. She's a Cylon, Hilo. Here's why, Pete. He still loves her on some level. She's a Cylon. He has not totally internalized that yet, and he still loves her. And that's why when he defends her, he's like, "No, you can't shoot her. She's pregnant. That's my kid in there." You know, it it is. There is still an emotional attachment oh, here. It is makes perfect sense to me. I think I think they wrote that scene exactly the right way. I totally agree with Starbuck here. Oh, I agree too. In her response, it is, you know, just exasperation, frustration. Although what I have has to this say, all been for? For some reason, I when that face that she makes, that grimace that she makes, I just cackled at it. I just thought that was, <laughs> there was something about that face that just it didn't look frustrated. It looked ridiculous. <laughs> So now we come to the fun stuff. <laughs> we cut back away to Gaius as he's being led to the ruins by Head Six. No, by an angel. Okay. Certainly angelic looking. Yeah. And if all angels look like that, fantastic. <laughs> uh, being led up to the the ruins. Yes. And she brings Led to him in, and we get another, like, things change in Gaius's mind once yep. again. Or do they? I know I know you said it doesn't matter, but I think they... Uh, this is I'm, because of what happens the very yes, last shot yes, where yeah. we see the ruins, but Gaius is nowhere to be seen. Right. I think, I think he's somewhere. I think he's elsewhere. I think that there's okay. some kind of transpatial portal going on there. Okay. All right. So she brings him into the opera house and she's, I mean, this is supposedly this, this opera house that had been on Cobol. Yep. You know, thousands of years Ooh, ago. Time travel. That's what it is. It's time travel. Time travel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she's saying it's, you know, it's time you bear witness to this and, you know, you start to take your place yeah. in all of this and, how incredibly important you are. That's when she says, you are the guardian and protector of the new generation of God's children. Does that not send a shiver down your spine to think that Gaius yeah. is the protector? That, that, that's what I say. I don't, I don't understand why. Like, why was he selected? I don't, I don't know what message Moore is trying to send here. You sure it's not a chip? I don't think this is a chip. This, because... <laughs> <laughs> no this so here's the thing i'm not gonna say one way or the other but i love the opera house i absolutely dig the opera house the the whole idea behind it and this mysticism that surrounds again more of this mythology 
I'm just a huge fan I think, of I think it's a very bizarre symbol to choose. I don't understand it. I feel like we're we're not given enough information yeah. to know why this place is so important. I feel, just, I feel like we're all missing something it just by not is. knowing not knowing why it's a, why an opera house of all things. Why not a temple of any any kind of faith's temple? Who knows? And, and she goes into this like pseudo mystic crap about how your life is um, is notes or something like that. I just I don't understand where Moore is trying to go with this. So Although, she she makes that comment as she brings him up, you know, come and bear witness to, you know, our our child. She looks down and she says, "Isn't she beautiful, yep. Gaius?" And, you know, there's, you know, looking down into a crib where, you know, this baby is supposed to be. We cut away. We're back on Galactica. The president is locked up yep. as you know, Adama, you know, he wants, to, he's right there to, he gives the order to, to put her away. And then they head up They're They're back on the, the, uh, and then, and then Lord CNC. Denethor publicly shames Faramir. <laughs> he didn't even talk to Lee. I know. That's exactly the kind of passive aggressive crap that Denethor pulls in Lord of the Rings. Where he's like, I kind of think that Adama is looking at Lee and saying, Really? You finally made a choice? You know, got gutsy with, you know, went bold with something? And this is the stuff you go bold with? <laughs> All right, I have to respect you, but you idiot. You know, don't go against me. The, the, the fact that he chooses to criticize Lee by praising someone else for doing the exact <laughs> opposite. That's what I'm talking about. That was about. hilarious. That's, like, that's that. so Denethor, right? <laughs> I, I so, wish that my other son had lived, you know? <laughs> so the other pilot, the boomer and the the other pilot, I don't remember, Racetrack. Race yep. He says to Racetrack, thank you for, you know, doing a difficult job, <laughs> you know, making sure to see it through. Um, and, you know, sh- shakes Racetrack's hand. Goes to straight Boomer's hand and she says, Oh, you're welcome. Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> so, so awesome. We're watching this. My wife and I are sitting on the couch. And the minute I see her hand come forward and there's a gun in her hand, <laughs> I threw my remote at my television and, my, and I just about gave a primal scream. I was so irritated with you that you would just hold that back because, oh my gosh, what a scene that was. It was awesome. I was just so angry. I was just like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe Pete is enjoying this so much. I'm so furious right now. Because what an incredibly moving scene yeah. that is. Yeah. Because then we get, you know, Lee comes up and he's like, no. Ah! You just had my dad right in front of me. They go into the slow motion, and you can see spittle flying out of the actor's mouth, and like hitting, (laughs) hitting Adama right in the face. And he has to just lay there and not react to that. I'm like, what? That would be terrible. This person's just spitting on you, and you just have to lay there and take it. When you're in the scene, you just go with it. (laughs) Everything's right and clicking. Uh, I it was so awesome. I mean. The reaction that I had the first time I watched this was just, oh my gosh, she just shot Commander Adama. This is exactly the kind of thing that I want to know about before I watch the episode. And there's no hint of that 
in the flash forward. No, and thank goodness there isn't. Curse them. This is the type of thing that I think Ron Moore wanted to do. This is the type of thing that, you know, you don't really do that to Captain Picard. It's not going to happen, you know. Worf isn't going to bring up his phaser. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, But it it does. Um, Yeah. That's all the notes I have. That's all I got. Okay, uh, do we have listener comments? Yes, yeah, we got plenty of those. Oh, God. So good. good. (laughs) Um, Well, let's see here. Now, Brainy's is really, really long. Uh, Let's let's do some of the others. We'll come back to Brainy. Okay. Uh, Bob. Go to Bob. Cobalt's last gleaming. What an intense last episode I'm amazed that they managed to fit so much I really felt that the back end of the season was Starbuck heavy it does seem that she is being pushed into being the main star of the show which I feel is incorrect a lot is set up in uh, relation to the overarching plot Cobol and all that which I enjoyed but the girl-on-girl fight between Starbuck and Six was gratuitous. I really do think I start hating Hilo here as well. Huh. Yeah, I agree with you, Bob. Interesting. I've been hating him for a couple of weeks now. <laughs> His defense of Caprica Boomer is so annoying and gets increasingly annoying for a season. Hmm. I didn't see the Adama shooting coming and remember having an audible gasp when it did happen. (laughs) I really don't have much else to say. Les Mis and animation have taken the wind out of me. (laughs) All the best for the coming week, Bob. Uh, Bob, thank you very much for your email, man. Uh, Great, great comments. Yeah. My friend John Madsen, he says, looks like Boomer shot Adama right in the junk. Why did she shoot him? Because he's a Cylon. No. Jeez. Don't buy it, John. You're not fooling me. Even if he had been a Cylon, he's dead now. So what's the point? You are going to be... <laughs> oh, man. So much fun. Okay. Let's go back to uh, uh, Brainy. Uh, for Cobalt's Last Gleaming Part 2, he's going to have uh, several sections where he... So, Head 6... She definitely appears to know things beyond what's in Gaius's head. She has declared herself a messenger of God, and doesn't she? Uh, and she oh, and she looks super sexy as she leads Gaius through the Raptor crash fire in her white dress. Crash down. We begin the part two with the aftermath. Of Crashdown's Crashdown <laughs> on the surface of Cobalt. Clearly, this dude is not fit for command yeah. in this situation. Although his true flaw is his inability to humbly ask the chief for help. The Colonel. He is a part of both of my favorite images of this episode. One at the beginning and one at the end. The second scene of the episode contains the old man and the colonel on the balcony of the CIC as they are about to telephone Roslyn. 
By the way, did you know that the props crew got those phones from actual World War II subs? No, I didn't. Well, as far as the scene goes, I was more struck by the image and the setting. I will just say that this is my second watch through of the series. Seeing that shot of the two bros standing up there in the balcony, I was like, whoa. The chief. He doesn't know it yet, but he is going to be super pissed if he makes it back to Galactica, only to find out his next project is to repair the holes that the boarding party cut into <laughs> Colonial One. <laughs> did you see how many raptors went over yes, there? Yes, did. How many holes they would have had to have cut in there? <laughs> it does seem like there might be a better way to do this. <laughs> um, <laughs> David Icke. Ron Moore and Ike are the series executive producers, with the latter bringing experience from the production side of the process. Moore was MIA for much of season one due to his work on Carnival. Therefore, this two-parter is Ike's first attempt to hash out a story outline. Moore, who wrote the teleplay for both parts, did make some crucial changes in the plot, such as taking Lee... Um, off the surface of Cobol and placing him behind the gun pointed at the colonel. But altogether, Ike did a good job, and we will see his abilities in this regard improve next season. Sharon Prego Cylon, whose face is still intact. <laughs> she reveals to Hilo that their progeny represents the, quote, next step to bringing them closer to God, close quote. That's cray-cray since she has also defected from her filial toasterness. But her faith remains unwavering, and that's what I love about her. Sharon, with the extra face hole. Uh, <laughs> what an existential crisis. Whence enacting the chance to revive her very will to live, she encounters, or rather is comforted, by a multifaceted self-mob. Um, I believe that Battlestar Galactica was the first to depict a multifac uh, multifaceted self-mob, let alone a nude mob <laughs> scene. Oh yeah. And she unconsciously shoots the very man to whom she was trying to prove herself. Bummer. The Cylon in charge of safety scanning and radiological regulation. This toaster totally sucks at his job. <laughs> Not only uh, some rando raider to f weirdly fly solo into Caprica's Atmo, but also to let some foreign nuke into a battle star? Makes me wonder how it ascended to Cylon ranks at all. <laughs> Caprica 6. It knew somebody. <laughs> Caprica 6. I'm going to consider her a separate character from Head 6, for they are evolving differently. Yeah. With Caprica 6, we have seen her express to Doral a sense of remorse for what they did to humanity. I was definitely rooting for her when she fights Starbuck, but Caprica 6 could not have predicted Starbuck to hit her with an over-the-edge WWF-style two-story body slam. <laughs> I think we will see her again, though, or at least another version. 
But for now, she seems to be caught between rage for Starbuck and her faith in God. Gaius. Sometimes a man must learn the hard way if he is to become worthy of the responsibility as afforded to him at the episode's end by Head 6. For he is truly not ready. Uh, He is, in fact, quite selfishly evil. I wonder why Head 6 took him through the opera house to explain God's will. One definite thing about Gaius is that he steals every scene he (laughs) is in. Racetrack. Facehole's new co-pilot is super hot, but we only see her briefly in this episode. <laughs> Facehole, that's great. <laughs> First few time aboard the Raptor with helmet on, and then we see how hot she is with helmet off. Facehole distracts us by shooting the old man. Hope we see her some more. <laughs> Lee, my favorite character. Willing to stand up to anyone for what he believes is not only right, but necessary. I love considering and weighing both sides of his decision to mutinize. The dude believes in democracy, in humanity's ability to enact the greater good. He says we can't incarcerate the president every time they make a mistake. Lee was wrong for the right reasons. But he had to act, so he followed his instincts. It was his integrity that incited Rosalind to finally capitulate. And then the episode ends with Lee helplessly holding the head of his father's bullet-torn torso in his bloody cuffed hands. Profound. In fact, that final scene presents such a brilliant burning image as the old man lies across the nav table where he landed his head in his son's bound hands his one hand being clutched so tightly by both of Dee's hands and his best friend's hands trying to hold in the gushing blood mm-hmm. yeah. one hand over each bullet hole what an image I lean to a better man than I to encapsulate the scene in one sentence as Picard perfectly said to Data Sometimes it is possible to commit no mistakes and still lose. TV 8, Sci-Fi 8. Joey's final five. Okay. On a side note, Joey, I truly urge you to listen to Ron Moore's podcast that pick up at season two. I know your time is super finite, but the experience that Moore provides allows you to understand what is going on in his head as he is producing these episodes and evolving these characters. He expects the audience of these podcasts to have not watched beyond the episode he is commenting on. So there are never spoilers. The cast simply meant to in uh, the podcasts simply meant to enhance the audience's experience For Battlestar Galactica demonstrates one thing that Moore believes emphatically, that the audience is intelligent enough to deserve respect from the showmakers. Listening to these podcasts while whilst watching this series for the first time only further ameliorates the level of intellect and background upon which this show is being executed. So give them a try. 
I know they are harder to find, but I now access them through DVD sets, and starting at season two, the podcasts become easier to locate on the interweb. I highly recommend the chats with more for any curious BSG lover. Anyway, on to laughing at Joey's answers. <laughs> you didn't have to say it quite like that. That's what we all do, but still. <laughs> He's sitting then, right there. They need to rub it in. <laughs> Number one, you are Lee. What do you do? I speak up sooner. Uh, if there's one frustration I have with Lee, I, I I like a lot of what Brainy had to say about him. My my frustration with him is that over and over again, he waits too long to make up his mind. He takes too long. He deliberates too long to get to that right conclusion. Okay. Number two, who is Rosalind going to airlock next? She's not going to airlock anybody. She's getting locked up. Well, she's getting out. Because Adama dies and... Is she? Well, once Adama's dead, then Ty's going to try to take over, but (laughs) nobody's going to want to follow him. So (laughs) there's going to be a rift and you're going to end up with two different fleets out there. The ones that follow Ty and the ones that follow Rosalind. But that's all for season two. I shouldn't be spoiling season two for listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, I'm going to say the next person she airlocks is the... Humanalon child. Ooh. Infanticide. When she finds out that she's being played by the Cylon God. Okay. Number three. Last podcast, you posited that the Cylons are following humanity to get to God and or Earth. So, if the Cylons are, in your words, mimicking the form of the humans to reach God then why are they, unlike humanity, monotheistic? That's a good question. Why are they monotheistic? So humanity has, in their not-too-distant past, about 2,000 years ago from what we're told, interacted with a group of beings that presented themselves as gods and I'm assuming made some pretty convincing arguments in that regard. Probably had superhuman strength or flight or some, you know, kind of things that would make us go, yeah, all right, you're God. (laughs) (laughs) I buy it. Maybe telepathy. That's, that's a, that's always one that kind of freaks people out when you can do it. Um, I'm going to say that the Cylons know their God on a personal level. They actually interact with him somehow, not directly, but they do have a personal relationship with their God. Because I think we've seen him taking direct action here. In this episode, in my opinion, for the first time, it's been clear that there is a god, a, a Cylon god, or a Cylon, uh, a, I'll call him Cylon god, but you know, I mean, it could be just a powerful alien, who knows, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's a guy who's presenting himself, or a being who's presenting itself as the god of the Cylons, and is doing things that he thinks will, or that it believes will help them progress down a, a plan that he has for them. Okay. 
All right. Number four. Can you explain the possibility that head six is real, keeping these factors in mind, that she appears to be at least quasi-omniscient, objective to Gaius, only visible to Gaius, <laughs> and yet also with an ability to physically interact with him? Okay, so give me the, give me the factors again. Um, at least quasi-omniscient. Okay. Objective to Gaius. Okay. Only visible to Gaius. And yet also with an ability to physically interact with him. So I don't think she actually can physically interact with him. I think that they can manipulate the neurons in his brain through the chip. Okay. To give the impression that he's being physically interacted with. Um, I think the chip in the brain also easily explains why she's only visible to him. What were the other two? Objective to Gaius? Uh-huh. Quasi-omniscient. Quasi-omniscient. That's, that's a tough one. That is, that is, that is one that, uh, that I struggle with a little bit. And I just got to believe that there are a lot more Cylons in the fleet than we know about. Hmm, Okay. And they just have yet and to just, present themselves. Yes, yeah, yeah. There's because somebody, somebody helped Shelley Godfrey get off Galactica, and if it had been Boomer, I think they would have shown it to us. The fact that they didn't show us means it's someone we're not supposed to suspect yet. Okay, probably Dwala. She's a Cylon now. Yeah, her and Billy are Cylon lovers. Okay, forgot about that. I. Forgot about that. Number five. Where is God in all of this? Here, in this episode. Very much, very strongly. Um, whose side is he on? I think he I think he thinks he's doing the right thing for both races. Okay. He's he's got some plan. I don't, again, I don't know any more what his plan is than I do what the well, I think the Cylon's plan is to execute the plan they've been given from their God. Um, I'm, I'm starting to wonder if it has to do with some kind of, uh, longevity of humanity kind of thing. I'm thinking here of like the, uh, Isaac Asimov books, the foundation series and how humanity was headed for a evolutionary dead end. And so if, if the Cylons are there to spur us along, maybe by killing off all of those, all of the, you know, that huge swath of humanity, while some Cylons are sad about it, it seems like the Cylons of faith are, are sad about it and disappointed about it, or feel some remorse at least. Um, it was it was a necessary thing because of where humanity was headed, genetics or evolutionary wise somehow. So that was the the change event that spurred the next evolutionary cycle in in humanity. Killing off most of us allowed us to evolve to the point where we can survive whatever it is that's coming. Okay, all right, all good stuff. Uh, Brainy, thank you very much uh, for your email and your insights. Always fun to hear what you yeah. have to say. Always. He he is really trying to get me to say that it's not a chip. 
He's trying really hard. Which just makes me get the bit in my teeth and bear down more on the fact that it's a chip. It's a chip. <laughs> okay. Uh, TV rating? TV. I am going to give this one a nine. It was okay. super, super. I think you, you put it best the way it's they're jumping around. There's a lot in it, but it never felt disjointed. Mm-hmm. It never felt like like we left a story before we should have. Um, and obviously that ending is just so... We, we didn't talk much about the final shot where, again, I, I feel like we're supposed to get some sense. Yeah, Gaius is no longer physically present here on on Cobol. He is elsewhere or elsewhen. Um, all of the, but you know, I mean, they they go from Adama dying, such a such a powerful dramatic moment, to kind of this peaceful ideal of, you know, of, of these ruins. Yeah, but not just the ruins, but you know, the greenery and and the whole setup that they have there, um, and it's showing that Stonehengey kind of thing that we're we're we've been just been told. This is the hope for humanity. This is what what did she say? Uh, the new generation, the, the protector and hope of a new generation of God's children. You know, we didn't really talk about it. I just realized it seemed like Boomer was kind of in a little bit of a haze, and a after feud, the yeah. shooting, it seemed like the the programming went back to sleep. Yeah, the the yeah. you know what she thought was humanity was sort of like, what happened? What? Yeah, what's going on? Uh, I enjoyed that scene. Uh, I give this a nine as well. I it is just fantastic, the way that they put all of this together. The music throughout the entire thing, <laughs> I I bought into. I thought that the they did a great job. Uh, I'd say other than that one that stuff together, that one bizarre note, just still. I don't get. We, um, lo- we love you. Ba-ba. So yeah, nine. Okay, uh, for science fiction, I'm giving this one an eight. There's there's so many many moving pieces in here. We have interspecies breeding. <laughs> we have, you know, the whole uh, going into the the Cylon base star. We have multiple versions of yourself talking. To yeah, you. I mean, <laughs> and then uh, above and beyond it all is. In my opinion, again, I, I feel like we've been given, okay, here is clear evidence of the God in this universe, the Cylon God. I don't know if there were, of the things the humans worshipped were gods or not. We don't have any information there yet. But the Cylon God here now is taking direct action. Uh, I don't know how you give this anything less than a 10. This is, in my opinion, through the roof, awesome science fiction. That has managed to to meld in, you know, again the mythology, this mysticism, uh, with you know, real world, okay, stuff that's going to be happening in space, um, and this this alien race of Cylons, I loved it from every aspect. I cannot really <laughs> point to anything and say I hate it. Even the Starbucks stuff, like the, I thought the fight was a little hokey, but. No, even all of that, I just okay. am a huge fan, and I I cannot get bored watching you know this and yeah. all of the science fiction aspects that, that played into it were were just dynamite. Moving on to season one wrap up, um, 
good first introduction to uh, this world of yeah, Battlestar yeah, Galactica, definitely. Cylons and humans, right? Yeah. You, you're well past the whole, uh, the miniseries was crap. I, I still think the miniseries you're, was kind you're, of... You're involved in yes. the series. You, yep. you dig it, right? That's what I'm <laughs> glad about. Uh, so we did have a couple of emails. Some people sent in some lists that uh, I thought we'd share at the outset. Um, this is from Alex. Listener Alex. Okay. Uh, good to hear from him. Yeah. Um, he says, Dear Joey and Peter, I hope this email finds you both well. Sorry, I'm still behind on your podcast. I'm still <laughs> listening on the Sherlock episodes. But I saw Peter's request for favorite episode submissions regarding season one. So briefly, here are my favorite episodes of BSG season one. Number five. The Hand of God, an, ex- an exemplary balance of Battlestar's key elements of its first season. Military strategy, character analysis, foreboding prophecy, space flight action, and discussions of a religious nature. Number four, Act of Contrition. That scene between Adama and Kara still makes me yeah. uncomfortable. Unbelievable performances on behalf of both actors. Number three, Cobal's Last Gleaming, Part One. From the opening musical montage, this Part One of Two, a nonstop suspense masterpiece, edging everything towards the epic cliffhanger to come. Number two, Cobal's Last Gleaming, Part Two. Great episode, which set up everything for an even better season two. And what can I say about that unforgettable cliffhanger? Number one, 33. Simply put, one of the greatest hours of television of all time. You can feel the tension and the exhaustion of the characters. Never were the Cylons as scary a force as during this episode. Looking forward to listening to your discussions on BSG. Take care and keep up the great work, Alessandro. Uh, thanks very much, Alex. It's uh, awesome for you to send that in, yeah. even though you're not even like up with the where we're at in the podcast. And, uh, and hey, cool. don't worry. At the rate we're going, you have plenty of time to catch up. <laughs> yeah. Who knows? I might get the flu again, and uh, we'll be down for another two weeks. Okay, Brainy Smurf. He says... Bit part, Doc Coddle. Favorite character, Lee. Least favorite, Roslyn. Huh, wow. Hot chick, D. Wow. Yeah. I think D is really attractive. She, she's very attractive. Really attractive. She's no sex, but she's very attractive. <laughs> Moment. Gaius is seen where he talks to multiple and separate parties simultaneously <laughs> such as in six degrees and um cobalt part one um yeah, i forgot about that in cobalt part one where he's talking to the two ladies there yes forgot about that um favorite episode six degrees least favorite episode litmus favorite music Battlestar Operetica, as sung by Pete. (laughs) 
<laughs> Aaron so, also really enjoyed that. So glad that we could remember that. By the way, Aaron, if you're listening, Joey should have a treat for you. You should ask him about said treat. You better already have had them and had them eaten. <laughs> Great job so far, dudes. Can't wait for season two. Best wishes and shiny droplets for overlords, czar, and minions alike. Ambassador Brainy Smurf. Uh, Brainy, thanks very much, man. Um, okay. That covers uh, emails. Okay. Where do we go? Pete, you're going to give us your favorite extra or bit part. Um, okay, this is tough because there's not a lot of chance for extra and bit part people to come in. Um, okay. But I'm going to give this to Doc Coddle. Okay. I, 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 I like Doc Coddle. A doctor who you know can lecture you on breast cancer whilst smoking a <laughs> cigarette um, is got to be you know gutsy. You know, uh, I may be stretching the definition of bit part a little bit here, but I'm going to go with Callie. Uh, okay. Yeah, she's seen quite a lot, but I get why you might choose her. Okay. Uh, for most hated character, so many to choose from. Yeah. There are some real rotten people in here, but I'm going to give my vote to Boomer. Really? Because it, because there is so much spite in me now every time she comes on that screen. Because <laughs> they ruined an interesting person. Even more now that she shot a dumb. You know right? what? No. It, it's not that. It's the way she became, in both incarnations, kind of this whiny, I don't know, just this weak person. She went from being someone I perceived as a, a strong female character to being this weak, despicable thing. I am so surprised that you chose her. I thought for sure that this was going to go to Ellen Ty for you. Uh, Ellen Ty is definitely a close second. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, by the way, I like Ellen Ty. I also like Boomer. Um, so they weren't even close to my list. The, hands down, for me, it's it's Starbuck. Uh, okay. I just cannot stand her. <laughs> she just... Uh, it, it it doesn't she doesn't work for me okay uh hot six pete uh hot chick uh i hot. had a f- i had a few people on there um boomer d uh but it's hands down it's got to go to six what we might consider doing is changing the hot chick as you said to hot six <laughs> but pointing out the the hottest scene in which she shows up <laughs> in that particular season. Okay, all right. And for me, it's absolutely wearing the white dress in the last episode of Cobal's Last Gleaming. Uh, for me, she just looked the most sexy, the most attractive of all. the, And that includes all of the times when she's in various stages of disrobe. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not always about just getting naked. You know that makes uh, uh, you know a, a woman attractive, or you know get gets my heartbeat going. But just the way that she looked in that, it just was fantastic. So, Joey, I'm assuming um, you're giving it to six as yes, well. Yeah, I, I'm actually gonna have to go with the uh, the scene where she's got her skirt hiked up and she's leaning over the table. And, oh, when and Starbuck walks in. in, yeah, and so she says. You know, there. Yeah, you're right. There is something interesting about this Starbuck. Yes. Yep. 
Uh, for favorite villain, you know, uh, almost gave it to Gaius. I, I think that you know you you could be. It, it would be a safe decision. I'm actually going to go with Leoben mm. because just the way he's able to manipulate even people who should have seen it coming, even people who should know better. Uh, and I'm not, I don't mean Starbuck here. I think Starbuck actually is a pretty fragile character, but the way he twisted both Adama and Rosalind, uh, very, just very, very cool. Okay. I am going to go with apparently the safe bet <laughs> and it's Gaius. He is without a doubt the biggest villain around here. Uh, not even the Cylons are as duplicitous and evil as this guy is. He is interested in only one thing. Gaius. Gaius Baltar. <laughs> uh, which sounds so weird. You know, when we hear that he is the guardian and protector of the new generation of so God's children. Is that the choice that he has to make, whether he's going to continue to be selfish or whether he's going to live beyond himself? I don't know. Because you do too know. I, honestly, Joey, I really okay. don't. All As right. I've mentioned before, <laughs> I've only seen this once, and that was a couple years ago. Okay. So I don't even, I don't know what the question is that she's like, okay, it's time for you to choose. Choose between what? <laughs> wandering around with you and not, not wandering around with you? <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, okay, so uh, what, what's next here? Funniest moment. Funniest moment. Um, I didn't originally have that on my list, but uh, you're right. That's a good choice to, to have on here. Uh, I think it has to go with uh, Six Degrees, uh, the episode where um, Shelly is in there and he walks Gaius walks in and sees her and thinks that it's yes. head six and he's like you know getting all frisky with her and she's like don't touch me and they're like you know we have this person here who's brought this evidence <laughs> who where where is she right there oh you can see her <laughs> you can all see her <laughs> just classic uh, just so amazing to to have Gaius react in that way and the 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 actor who did it was brilliant just brilliant uh you know i i had put down the uh the guys pointing their guns at each other and having to just everybody try to stay calm in that scenario but since you mentioned six degrees i'm actually going to change mine i'm going to go with the bathroom scene Okay, okay. Because <laughs> there's nothing more awkward than talking to another man in the bathroom. It's just, just don't do it. And, and like, <laughs> I remember he says, oh, yeah, 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 sure, you're distracted. You don't, don't let me bother you. So anyway. <laughs> Pretty funny uh, I, stuff. I, yeah, and his rant at the end, he's like, no more Mr. Nice Gaius. <laughs> Somebody else is walking in and has no idea what this is about. Yeah, uh, that was pretty good stuff. <laughs> okay, Joey, uh, your uh, top five hated episodes. You know, I actually, or five, I, you don't, whatever number you choose. Yeah, I only have three. I came up with four. So, okay. uh uh, number four goes to the mini miniseries part one. It's just too depressive. It's too much of a downer and hard. It makes the series hard to yeah, get into. Okay. And it's not just me who feels that way. I've actually talked to other people, my wife being one of them, who's just, there's just too much of an oppressive feel and it doesn't feel like I'm going to be able to enjoy the series. 
Uh, number three is the hand of God. I think this was hmm. a huge problem that they should have struggled with throughout the series. And to have the solution come that quickly and that easily, so to speak. I mean, yes, some people died and things like that. Terrible. I agree. This was just too pat. Too easy of an answer for something that should have been part of the ongoing struggle of the fleet. Okay. Uh, number two is litmus. This is like the poor man's version of the drumhead. <laughs> and I think that's all that needs to be said there. Uh, number one, least favorite episode, Ellen. Oh, oh, wait, sorry. Tie me up, tie me down. <laughs> Hated the introduction of the character of Ellen. <laughs> Hated the the whole portrayal. I actually kind of started to like Ty, <laughs> Colonel Ty, at the beginning of this episode, and they immediately yanked that rug out from under me. I actually was like, oh, you know what? Maybe he's not that bad of a guy. He poured the drink in the trash. He's gonna he's turning change. it around. He's he's going around. He's got a smile on his face. He's actually being proactive. Oh well, great. There's, there's, there's her. There's that anchor around his neck. <laughs> that millstone. Hate that character. Okay. Um, number three for me is Colonial Day. Really? Yeah. I just <laughs> didn't care for it. I thought it was an okay episode. Uh, number two is Litmus. Okay. Right there with you on, on all of that. Number one for me is you can't go home again. This is Starbuck. Yeah. She, you know, we're getting all of the Starbuck memories. And then she flies her, you know, the Cylon ship back, <laughs> which has the duct tape all over it, which as someone pointed out is, how did she get the duct tape on there? You know, how was that possible considering the fact that she was out of oxygen? Um, yeah, it did uh, that. That episode just did not work for me. Right. And, and why the the Adamas go crazy over trying to find this one pilot. <laughs> it, move on with your life, fellas. There's better women out there. Okay. Your favorite episodes. Okay. I've got five. Um, so number five, I... Oh gosh, got to remind myself now. This is the other problem with taking three months yes. to get yeah. through all of this. You got to remember. remember all of them. Yep. Uh, I'm going to give to uh, the episode Flesh and Bone. Uh, now, this is uh, the one with Leoben, mm -hmm. uh, where he comes on board and, you know, they're um, interrogating him. The interrogation scenes weren't great, but some of the other stuff that, like, President Rosalind was dealing with, there's, you know, she's got, she's seeing stuff um, I, I thought was, was pretty great. Plus, Leoben is an interesting character. He stirs up a lot of stuff. Yeah. Number four, uh, believe it or not, Joey, I'm going to give to the hand of God. Wow. Uh, I thought that it was, I mean, it was a fun action movie. Okay. It, you know, it really could have been a movie. Yeah. Um, and it was, I, you know, I think it would have served well as that as like a standalone episode. And the humans win. It's nice to see us finally win. <laughs> Something goes our way that it hasn't always been. Plus, we have the president who is once again being uh, shown these various images. Um, and we are sure. introduced to the, uh, the Pythian, Pythian prophecy and how that's all going to lead into what's going on. 
and I, I, I was excited for it. Number three, you're going to hate this. Tie me up. Tie me down. Tie me down. Jeez. I love that episode. It it is painful to see the roller coaster that you like the hot mess. (laughs) I I actually think she's an attractive woman. Um, But more than that, the character of Ellen Ty is so incredibly infuriating (laughs) that there's no one who can ever like her. Ever. And she is, I think, I'm just going to say she's well-placed for for what that act, uh, what that character needs to be and do. Um, I, I, I loved it. Okay. And it was funny. It was one of those funny ones. When they're all in Gaius's uh, laboratory and they're going back and forth <laughs> with all the different, wait, you did that? Why did you do that? Oh, sorry. Sorry, everyone. My fault. You know, that <laughs> yeah. was funny. That was kind of funny. Number two, I am going to give to 33. Wow. Uh, it, it is a phenomenal episode. I, I love it. It's palpable to see how much pain and discomfort the crew of Galactica is going through. Why the rest of the fleet has to be going through that exact same thing, I don't know. They should still all be able to get some sleep. But it is impressive to see the effect that the Cylons have Mm. on them and it's constant. Every 33 minutes yeah. they show up. We can't get any rest at all. They are constantly chasing us. Why won't they just leave us alone? I love. Okay. Number one for me is uh, Cobalt's Last Gleaming Part 2. Interesting. Um, okay. I just love every aspect of this. Even the shooting of uh, Adama is just fits in with everything that is going on. I'm... Don't like roller coasters in real life, but this roller coaster that I went on through this episode was brilliant. Okay. For my number five, I'm also giving it to Flesh and Bone. Again, like okay. I said, I, I actually enjoyed the portrayal of Leoben. I uh, had a lot of fun with that episode. Number four is Active Contrition. I realize that this is a pretty soapy episode. That's interesting. I didn't think that you would choose that one. I, I, but I, I just sense the... Since the second part of the miniseries, I've been fascinated with this relationship between Adama and Starbuck. And I actually, unlike you, enjoy the character of Starbuck. Don't care for the actress as her physical appearance so much. And sometimes the way she acts the character is a little bit grating. But I think it's supposed to be. Um, but I actually enjoy the character. I'm I'm liking what they're doing here. And so Acts, acts of Contrition is... Very, very heavy on the surrogate father, broken family relationship stuff that's going on in there. Okay. Uh, number three is six degrees. Um, the, the especially the the Gaius angle on on this particular episode. If you think about how this how the whole episode plays out, how the events of that episode play out from his perspective. Yes. It's very, very fascinating. It's a descent into madness. <laughs> yes. 
Um, number two is Cobol's Last Gleaming Part Two. Yep. Okay. Good. Um, but I'd say number number one is thirty three. If there's one episode of Battlestar Galactica that I think would hook anyone on Battlestar Galactica from the get go, I don't think you need the miniseries. You show someone thirty three, and there you've got them. No, I don't disagree. But I uh, sorry, I don't agree. But thirty three is just a spectacular work of television. It really is. It's great. Uh, your favorite moment. Uh, okay. So for my favorite moment, I, <laughs> is it, is it Adama getting shot? It is Adama getting shot. <laughs> like I hated it so much because I, this is the exact kind of thing I don't want to have happen is not knowing when something like that is about to come. <laughs> I was so frustrated that I didn't see it coming. So angry with myself and so angry with Ron Moore for doing, <laughs> being able to do that to me. And so angry with you for being complicit in this whole thing. It's uh, but so smooth the way she pulls that gun uh, out. Yes. Without a, just, a look on her face that's, you know, hinting at it. Boom, it, boom. It's, it's as good as the acting job that you're doing as I try to put forward all my theories. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I almost chose that one. Uh, for me, I am going to choose, um, this is from the episode water episode two okay. where there are, you know, the, you know, the big heads of everything are all sitting down together and they're having a very frank discussion about the water, but also all of the exact necessities of food mm, yeah. that are necessary to continue to keep these people alive every week. And the massive amounts that they are. Uh, it is just staggering to hear that. And the sobering silence <laughs> that comes from all of that was intense. Well, let's give a listen to it here. I've calculated that the uh, rate of consumption regarding basic foodstuffs for the civilian population, this is based on information available to me at the time, the, the current civilian population of 45,265 will require, at minimum, 82 tons of grain, 85 tons of meat, 119 tons of fruit, 304 tons of vegetables, and 2.5 million JPs of water. Is that per month? Per week. Uh, I wouldn't want to be in that room. <laughs> I would not want to have the challenge of saying, oh, yeah, we're all stuck on these iron ships that uh, don't grow anything. <laughs> Um, well, except for the the paradise ship. Oh yeah, true. We Cod could, nine. We we really should just turn that one into you an know, agrarian our, culture. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, yeah, that that's my favorite. Um, great start into what I think is going to be a very fun story. Uh, I'll, you know, I, I'm well, glad you're hooked. Uh, uh, for for all the frustration that I'm expressing, I am really having a good time. So thank you, Pete, for introducing me to it. Thank you, listeners, for uh, taking this ride with us. Well, that brings us to the end of another podcast. We hope that you've been inspired to take a deeper look at your entertainment choices and discuss it with friends, family, or just a couple of complete strangers you only know from the internet. As always, we invite your comments to our email at trekwest5 at thehomestarmy.com. You can tweet Pete at trekwest5, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 801 508-4242.